All right, so we began a few weeks ago by considering this very first command in Scripture. Um, you can see it on the screen in Genesis 1, 27 and 28. The idea to flourish, to multiply, uh, and to rule the earth. And with God's blessing, we saw that gendered humanity, both male and female, in chapter 2, as one flesh, they were joined together as a family. And that this family was the context or the original design for living out that command, for being fruitful and multiplying and for ruling the earth. But as we considered that, as we studied through that, there were some that were asking questions and what about those of us without family? What about those of us without kids? What about the singles who are part of our church? How are they to flourish? How are they to multiply? What does that look like for that part, those parts, those members of our body? And so that question led me to seek an understanding of God's Word, to look at this biblical idea, uh, as it says in the scriptures, of offspring, of descendants, of, of families having children. And to do that so that we can love, so that we can care for, and so we can understand how we walk with each other, as both married and as both singles, as both those with children, and those without children as a part of this family, as a part of our church family. And so for the question for all of us, whether married or single, whether with or without kids, the question for all of us is this. How is it that there is a unique biblical affirmation of singleness in the New Testament? When we look back historically, when we look back culturally, when we look in the Old Testament, when we look in the church even today, that, that marriage and family seems to be embraced, it seems to be elevated, it seems to be exalted amongst us. That's the norm. That's what we do. That's what we're all after. And that's what we do as Christians, as followers of Christ. And so we wanted to understand what, what is the answer to that question? How can that be? And we saw where descendants or having children was first introduced in the Bible and actually connected to this first proclamation of the gospel that we see in Genesis 3. Verse 15, that as God was coming to the serpent to explain the curse that was going to be on the serpent. He says that through this woman, through her descendants, through her families having children, Jesus will come and will ultimately crush, will ultimately defeat the enemy and restore all things. It's a picture of what's going to happen. As a result of sin, now God is going to restore His creation through families having children that's going to result in this child, Jesus. It's going to crush the head. It's going to defeat the enemy. It's going to restore all things. And so even at the very beginning, we see this turning point in the story of God is going to be, it will be, the gospel. And I would say that the turning point for singleness, as we understand it, is also the gospel. 
and for us to better understand and appreciate how singleness is connected and how it fits into God's story as an essential part of his redemptive plan, we need to follow the story. We need to walk through this story, right? He gave us this picture of what's coming and how the gospel is going to impact everything. So let's follow the story and see how families having children how that develops and how that changes how that goes through the story of God and so we did that last week that the story begins and the story continues through families having children we saw Adam and Eve this family having children and specifically through their son Seth and then Seth and his family's having children, and those families having children, and those families having children, led us to Noah. And then God hit the reset button and began again with Noah and his family, and specifically with his son, Shem. And then through Shem and his family having children, and those families having children, and those families having children, it led us to Abraham. And then Abraham and Sarah, their family, having children, specifically Isaac. And then through Isaac and his family having children, specifically then Jacob. And then Jacob and his family having children then led to these 12 sons, they became these 12 tribes, the nation of Israel. All of that through families having children. And then those families were in Egypt for 400 years. And those families were having children. And those families were having children. But they were enslaved. But then through one family having a child, Moses, God uses Moses, raises him up, and he rescues the Israelites. He brings them out of slavery. He brings them into the wilderness. And he says, I'm going to make you a nation. I'm going to continue on. And he then begins, begins to give them his law. And that's where we pick up today. We see that through families having children, God continues his plan. But before we start with the Israelites and then receiving the law, receiving this promise from God, just remember we, when we saw, came to Abraham, we saw that God gave Abraham a promise. And part of that promise, the very priority of that promise was that he was going to have children. That he was going to have families that had more children and families that had more children. And the other promises that God gave to Abraham were connected to him having children. His children were going to be like the dust of the earth. His children were going to be like the stars of the skies. His children were going to be like the sand of the shores. And so God made Abraham that promise. And now, as we come to Moses and we come to the Israelites in the desert, God makes another promise to his people, to Israel through Moses. And so that's where I want us to pick up. Have that promise of Abraham in mind, and now God comes to Moses and he makes them a promise to Moses for the Israelites. Exodus 19, verse 3 through 6. Then Moses went up to God, 
And the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, That is what you are to say to the descendants and their descendants. It's the same word. Offspring. Children. Okay? This is what you're going to say to the children, to these children that have come from these families, specifically here of Jacob. What you are to tell the people of Israel. Verse 4. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, verse 5. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you'll be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you're to speak to the Israelites. So you guys see the if and the then. Okay? This is a promise that's a conditional promise. It's not quite like the promise he gave to Abraham because in this situation, God's blessing and this Mosaic covenant are entirely based on the obedience of the Israelites. If they obey, then this. If you obey my law that I give you, then this. If you don't, then that. Okay? With any conditional promise, there are consequences. There are terms of the promise. If you follow the terms, then the results will be positive. Rewards. If you don't obey, then the results will be negative. You'll have consequences. And again, what do you think, as we've been walking through, what are going to be some of the consequences of either obedience or disobedience? What's it going to be connected to? Families having children. Okay, he's about to explain the, the consequences, both the positive or the negative, and it's going to be connected to what we've been following through this entire story, families having children. First, I want us to look at the blessings or the result of obedience, okay, the, the positive consequences. We'll read this together. Deuteronomy 7. Verse 11 through 14. Therefore, take care to follow the commands, decrees, and laws I give you today. If you pay attention to these laws and are careful to follow them, then the Lord your God will keep his covenant of love with you as he swore to your ancestors. He will love you and bless you and increase your numbers. He will bless the fruit of your womb, the crops of your land, your grain, new wine and olive oil, the calves of your herd and the lambs of your flocks in the land he swore to your ancestors to give you. Verse 14. You will be blessed more than any other people. None of your men or women will be childless, nor will any of your livestock be without young. So, 
if they are obedient, then he'll bless and multiply them just like he blessed and multiplied the families of Abraham, the families of Isaac, the families of Jacob. If they're obedient, then he'll do that. If they're obedient, then they will multiply and flourish. Right? And how is it the blessing being described? We see this idea of the fruit of their womb. They'll, they'll, having children and flourish in the land, their crops will thrive. God will bless them. None of your men or women will be childless. If they're obedient, they'll be blessed. And part of that blessing is clearly connected to families having children. That's going to occur. That's going to be the positive consequence. But what about the negative consequences? Right? God is very clear. He lines us all out. He, he tells us. And so let's look at the result of disobedience. Deuteronomy 28. Verse 15 through 18. However, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all His commands and decrees I'm giving you today, all these curses will come on you and overtake you. You'll be cursed in the city and cursed in the country. Your basket and your kneading trough will be cursed. Verse 18, the fruit of your womb will be cursed. And the crops of your land and the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. If you do not obey and follow God, then you will not experience or have the blessing. You won't be fruitful. You won't multiply. That's part of the consequence. That's part of the curse. But if you, if you do not obey and follow God, then you won't experience that same blessing that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob experienced. Instead of blessing, you'll be cursed. If you think about Abraham's promise, you will not continue to have children and without children you will not remain a great nation without children you'll not keep your name without children you'll not be a blessing to the world without children you will not keep and remain in the land I have given you this is the curse. This is the this is the, the negative consequence if they don't follow this law that God has given them. If every individual and family was subject to these consequences, both positive and negative. Okay? Moses received this law. He gives this to the people. Give this to the Israelites. Obey and follow this. If you don't follow, this will happen. If you do follow, this will happen. What do you think in their culture as they were together the primary way that indicated you were obedient the primary way that indicated you were approved, that you were a part of God's promise, that you were a part of God's people. How could you demonstrate that you were in, that you were a part? I'm in this covenant. I, God is faithful to me, and I am faithful to Him. I can show that and demonstrate that by what? 
Because I have a family and I have children. I'm in, baby. I'm obedient. And so from the other side, what do you think is the primary way that indicated that you were disobedient, that you were not approved, that you were not a part of the covenant, that you were not a part of God's people? I'm, I'm single. I'm not married. I don't have a family. I don't have children. I'm not in. This is a result of disobedience. This is a result of not following the law. And so in that time, in that place, in that promise to remain single without children in Israel, would have been to voluntarily embrace God's judgment. And it would demonstrate your exclusion from God's people. Okay? No one chose to be single, unmarried, and without children. Okay, To be married with children meant you were apart. No one would choose that. It was a demonstration, a sign of this curse. So as you think about both the promises, the one to Abraham, that was unconditional, the one to Moses and the Israelites that was conditional, that was based on their obedience, how did the Israelites do? Were they obedient? Did they follow the law? No, right? No. They couldn't live up to the law. They couldn't keep God's commandments. They couldn't follow Him perfectly. They were not faithful to that conditional covenant. Thank goodness it doesn't depend on them. Thank God it doesn't depend on us. We could do no better. We could be no different. Because they were not faithful, but... But, 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 God is faithful. And God continues in the story. The story doesn't end there where they're not faithful. The story continues. And God continues His story through these prophets that come to Israel. And that speak on behalf of God. And they share this message. And what do you think is a part of the message? What do you think is connected to this message that the prophets give to these Israelites who are not being obedient. Anybody? Usually the answer is always Jesus, right? Okay. I'm giving you a hint. Today, the answer is always families having children. Okay. They can see that it's families having children. The prophets speak to that. That's connected. That's part of their message of this judgment as they look back, but also of this hope as they look forward. And I want you to understand, as the prophets come, that's the type of message they give, right? They are speaking the truth. They are making this judgment as they look back. Here's the reality. You haven't been obedient, but yet here is the hope as we move forward. Okay? So it's sort of a both-and message that the prophets are sharing. And so I want us to look back and I want us to look forward as we hear from the prophets. 
Al futuro. And specifically in this case, Isaiah. And I want you to have an understanding of Isaiah and what he was called to do. How God called him. This message that God gave him to speak. Isaiah's mission. So we're going to read chapter 6, verse 8 through 13 of Isaiah. All right? We're thinking back in judgment and forward in hope. And this is God giving Isaiah his mission. Verse 8. This is Isaiah speaking. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I, Isaiah, said, Here am I, send me. And then he, God, said, Go and tell this people. Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Okay, this is what God is telling Isaiah to tell this people, Israel. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Do you guys get what God is calling Isaiah to do? Go preach. And go preach until it's going to result in they will not repent. They will not listen. They will not see. They, their hearts won't be changed. They become calloused. This is your job, Isaiah. Preach and preach and preach my word until they will not repent. Who wants that? Who wants to do that? Who wants, this is my mission, this is my ministry. Look how fruitful my ministry is. I just keep preaching and they just keep turning their, their heads from me. They keep, their hearts become hard. No one wants to listen. That's right, Isaiah. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. That makes no sense to us. Then I said, verse 11, Isaiah. Here's what God is saying. He's like, so... Um, for how long, Lord? <laughs> how long do you want me to do this? This doesn't sound like fun. And he answered, God answered, until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tent remains in the land, it will again be laid to waste. Listen to this part. But as the terebinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed, that word seed, is offspring, is descendant, is child. But even though the stumps are cut down, the holy seed will be the stump in the land. What in the world does that mean? We won't go into detail about that. But as Karina was explaining to me this week about forest fires, 
and specifically here in California, right? I don't go to school, grow up, and know these things because I'm from Georgia. We don't have forest fires. But she said that the we have actually damaged the forest by putting out the fires. That it's a natural process for this fire to happen naturally to destroy parts of our forest here in California and there are certain seeds within certain trees that they do not release those seeds until the forest has been burnt down. And we actually cause more fires and we cause more problems because when a fire starts we put it out. And this is the question, this is the how do we handle this managing our forests? How do we protect people and how do we contain the fires but yet it's a natural thing that should happen. And when we put them out, then the right trees don't get cut off and the right seed doesn't come forth. And a lot of brush and a lot of weeds and a lot of extra stuff is in the forest. And it doesn't flourish as it was designed. As you look at this, it's a picture of destruction and judgment. There's going to be no inhabitants. It's ravaged. The land is ravaged. There's no one living in homes. The families are gone. And then it says, though a tenth remains, and it says again, it'll be laid to waste. But, look at the second part of verse 13. But, just as these trees, when their stumps are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. This holy seed is this glimpse of hope in the end of the passage. There's been all this destruction, all this judgment, but yet as he looks forward, there's this hope that's coming. And the seed is going to be in this land. It's going to be something new. Something's going to come from this. So who is this seed? Now the answer is Jesus. Sorry, I tricked you. Remember back, where have we seen this reference to this holy descendant, this holy seed that was going to restore this holy child that's going to come that's going to defeat the enemy, that's going to restore all things. Right? We saw it in Genesis 3.15. As soon as God came and was delivering this curse to the serpent, He said, there's going to be a seed, there's going to be a child, there's going to be an offspring that's going to come, and it's going to rise up, and it's going to crush and defeat you. And Isaiah is giving this hope of this holy seed. Isaiah is here, okay? In my Bible. All of this, back to Genesis 3. As you guys think about that, and you see this picture of Jesus, and we're going to look at more pictures of Jesus that Isaiah shows, like all the way here, God says, I'm going to bring this one, this child. And then all the way here, Isaiah is saying, and this child's going to come from all this destruction and judgment. It's going to rise up. This new growth, this new family is going to come. Look at Isaiah 9.6. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. 
The government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is the plan. God's had this plan. This is what Isaiah is proclaiming. There's going to come one, a child, through families, having children. It's going to be this holy seed. But out of this destruction, God is going to start something new. And so as we finish, I want us to look at two questions. As we look back, Remember, the prophets look back and then they look forward. As we look back, what family did this child come from? And then as we look forward, what family will multiply and flourish from this child? Okay? All throughout the story, families having children. It hasn't stopped. We get to this place of judgment, but looking forward, there's going to be a family. So which family did the seed come from? Which family did this child come from? And which family is going to come from this child? Which family is going to flourish and multiply through this holy seed, through this holy descendant? And so Isaiah gives description of this child. He answers these questions. Look at Isaiah 11, 1 through 2. You guys still with me? Okay, put your thinking caps on. Okay? Consider this. Think about this. Okay, be amazed by this. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. It's like a new growth. A sprig. A little piece of newness. Out of the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and of might. The Spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. This new growth will come from the stump of Jesse. This is Jesse, David's father, King David's father. From that line, the same line of King David, this new growth is going to come. That stump that's been cut off, that stump that's been destroyed, new growth is going to come from that family. And they'll have, there'll be fruit. That same thing where it says here, it will bear fruit. It's the exact same words as go forth, multiply, and bear fruit. Go forth, multiply, and flourish. The same words, the same things. From this child, out of the family of Jesse, out of Israel, this Holy One will flourish. He comes from the physical descendants, the physical family of Abraham. He's a part of the blessing of these families having children. Just like God said, these families having children, and those families having children will lead to this one. And here we see him. He comes from that family. But as we read in the previous passages, this family is cut off. This family is laid to waste. There's destruction. And there's something completely new. 
something different that will begin. It's a new family. A new family that will flourish and multiply through this child. As you look at verse 3 through 9, I don't have that here. It, it describes what that kingdom is going to look like, what that rule is going to look like when that child is in this place. And then it gets to verse 10, and as we've looked back in verse 1 and 2, then in verse 10, it looks forward, and it says, In that day, now it doesn't say the, the stump of Jesse, but it says the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. This child is not described as something new, something that's coming out of this, what was old, what's been laid to waste but it's described as this root, this beginning, something that's been planted and is taking hold and is going to start something new, that from this root is going to come this family that flourishes and grows and multiplies. He came from this physical family, this descendants of Israel, and now he is a root that is put in the ground, and from that root, a new family will come. It says he'll stand as a banner. Rooted in. He's going to stand as a banner before the peoples. This child. It says all the nations will seek him. They'll run to him. They'll desire him. It's no longer just this physical descendants, this nation of Israel, but now he'll stand before the people. He'll be a banner. And they will come to him, and his resting place will be glorious. To me, that's amazing. God continues this throughout his story. Families having children. And from this physical family, Israel, this sprig comes up out of destruction. He goes and he stands before the people and the nations run to him, seek him. And he is this new root of this family that's going to grow and flourish. Later in Isaiah, he gives a picture of this child growing into a man. And he becomes a suffering servant. Like I just pointed to, he's going to stand before the nations. He's going to go to the cross. He's going to suffer for them. And he says this in verse 2 through 3 of Isaiah 53. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. You see the connection? He grew up from this family like a tender shoot and now he's a root out of this dry, destroyed, barren ground that's going to produce something new. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him 
nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised. It's the same idea, he was cursed and he was, and we held him in low esteem. Okay? Why was he despised? Why was he the curse? What was part of that? Did he have a family? Did he have, was he married? Did he have children? No, he was a single man without a family and without children. He was cursed. He was despised. We held him in low esteem. He obviously didn't appear to be in God's covenant. Continuing in verse 10. Yet. I love the word yet. I love the word but. Yet, yet, yet. Yet. Okay. All those things. Yet. It was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring, descendants, children, same word. He's going to see those children. The single man without children is going to see his children and prolong his dates. He's going to be made an offering for sin. He's going to be put to death. And yet he's going to live again. And in this new life, this resurrection, he's going to have children. He's going to have a family. And they're going to prolong his days forever. It's an eternal family. And the will of the Lord will prosper in His hand. It's going to multiply and flourish. He's going to be the head of a family having children. This single man, this single man without kids. Though He suffered for us, because He suffered for us, Everything changed. The gospel changes everything. Jesus Christ, the person and the work of Jesus Christ changes everything. Okay? No longer at this point, because of Jesus and because of who He is and what He has done, it is not a physical family through God's blessing having physical children that will result in their multiplying and flourishing. But it's changed. The gospel has changed that. Now it is a spiritual family that through God's blessing and grace is adopting spiritual children, having spiritual children that will result in the multiplying and flourishing of this new spiritual family. Do you get what happened? God was working through these physical descendants, families having children. It comes to Jesus Christ, this single man without children. And from this point forward, this family, this root that's going to grow from him is going to be this spiritual family. That's going to be a family that continues to have children, that continues to grow and multiply and flourish. And we're supposed to be having kids. In this family, in the church, that's, we're still under that command. Go forth, multiply, flourish, and care for the creation. Rule the earth. But the gospel should change our perspective on that. 
Because by grace through faith, in this child that we read about, all of us, all of us, whether single or married, are fully a part of his family. You are not without family. Whether you are married or single, you are a part of his family. And whether married or single, as a part of his family, we can all have children. Spiritual children. In this spiritual family that Jesus Christ is the head of. Whether you're single or married, be fruitful. Okay? Whether you're single or married, multiply. Have these children that are a part of this family. Follow Jesus. Make disciples. That's the command given to us. That's what we're to obey. We're joined with Jesus. We're joined with Him as one flesh. Same thing we saw in Genesis 2. We're joined with Him as one flesh, one family. Okay? He is our spiritual head. He is our spiritual husband. We're married with Jesus. He, right? He's the bridegroom. We're going to be with Him. We're a part of His family. And in this spiritual marriage, as a spiritual family, having spiritual children. Do you get that? Like that's, that's, that's amazing. That's upside down. That, that, that. What? And God said all the way back in Genesis 3.15, I'm going to send this child through families having children he's going to come and he's going to crush your head and I'm going to grow and I'm going to flourish my family that needs to be the primary lens the gospel that we see singleness and marriage whether single or married, we are all a part of that. We're all in the family, and we should all, through God's blessing, through His grace, have kids. Singleness is no longer a curse after Jesus. Singleness is a blessing, the New Testament says. It says it's even a place of advantage. We'll walk through that, we'll consider that, we'll begin to look at that. What does that mean? How should we view that? But before we think about that, we need to understand that Jesus Christ, coming to earth, dying on the cross, forgiving our sins, rising again, seated in glory, at the right hand of God the Father has forever changed what it means for families to have children. And we need to consider that perspective as well. So more about that next time as we continue to move forward. Let me pray and we will close in worship. Father God, Lord, I pray that we would just stand in awe of you, 
in awe of who you are, in awe of what you have done. How from the very beginning you've been faithful. Throughout your entire story, you have been faithful. And for eternity to come, you will be faithful. And God, we do not deserve, we cannot earn a place in your family. And yet, God, you have chosen us for your family. You have adopted us. You have brought us in. And we're your children. We're your sons and daughters. What a privilege that is to be in your family. That we could follow you. That we could proclaim you. That through your love we could love others. Because you have loved us. God, help us to see the gospel in an incredible way. Or that it would, it would be bigger than we thought before. That it would, we wouldn't just see it in the way that we've always seen it, but you would grow our perspective of who you are and how you've been working. And as we look at this one thread through Scripture of families having children, that it's amazing to watch you work. It's amazing to see how you intervene and how you're faithful and how you continue. And that we would get to be a part of this spiritual family. That whether single or married, that we have a family. Whether single or married, we and your family are to have children and are to flourish and multiply. And God, I pray that as a family, as Living Stones, we would do that, Lord. We would walk with you in obedience to you. We would follow you from our hearts and out of a place of joy. And that through your blessing, we would multiply and flourish for your glory, for your honor. Thank you for a place in your family. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.